Good morning, and welcome to the Empowering Family Caregivers Show on Blog Talk Radio. I'm John Mills, co-founder of eCare Diary and your host for today's show. April is Oral Cancer Awareness Month, and today we will talk about HPV, or human papilloma virus. Our guest today is Jason Mendelson, a stage 4 HPV tonsil cancer survivor and serves on the Board of Directors and Executive Committee of the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. Jason also serves on the board of the Advent Central Florida Cancer Institute Foundation. Jason is passionate about cancer awareness and hopes to eliminate HPV, head, and neck cancer for future generations. Jason, thank you for joining us. Also, I just want to add, uh, I, as we talked offline, I too am a cancer survivor, so I... Uh, uh, I'm very interested in hearing about your story today. Thank you. Um, so um, your organization is called Superman HPV. Where did the uh, name Superman HPV come from? Thank you for asking me. And again, thank you for having me today. I always want to explain the um, why I named my website and, and where I got the name from. I never want people to think that somehow I think I am a superhero or arrogant or have any superhero-like qualities. Um, when I was diagnosed with stage 4 HPV tonsil cancer back in 2014, um, one of the things I had to do was go through chemo and radiation. And my friends called me Superman as I was going through treatment because they said I was tough, like Superman. So I thought, when launching the site, it would be a, a catchy way to draw attention where I could provide information regarding awareness regarding HPV, tonsil cancer, or pharyngeal cancer. And so that's, that's where the name came from. It was really just because my friends called me Superman during chemo and radiation. Yeah, that, that's great. And I think anyone who's been through it, you know, certainly uh, understands you really do. There's, there's sort of... Uh, these treatments can be pretty harsh on you. There really is sort of a superhuman uh, 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 quality to, to sort of going through them and uh, having everything come out okay on the other side. Um, is, it, is this something you do full-time or part-time? So how, how does basically the Superman HPV work? So, you know, it's an interesting question. I always have people ask me because I do – I probably get somewhere between two and four – inquiries from people with my same diagnosis, um, some caregivers, and really um, survivors as well from all over the world. And so I'm always in contact, whether it's via phone or text or Facebook, things of that nature. But no, I actually have a full-time business. I'm president of our family business, um, and I work around 50 to 70 hours a week. So I answer people's texts and replies and emails and take their phone calls, typically like someone else watches TV or has another hobby. My hobby is being passionate about protecting families, allowing, you know, patients diagnosed with this and their and other survivors and caregivers simply to understand it's all temporary. So I do this like other people do other hobbies and I'm hoping it makes a massive difference. I, I think I think that's great. And you know, we talked a little bit about uh, offline about how eCare Diary came about, and you know, it was uh, my father had Parkinson's disease, and I think you kind of go through these types of experiences, whether or not it's 
what you went through or what we went through, and you really want to do things that can help other people who go through similar experiences. I would agree. So when you were diagnosed with HPV, HPV tonsil cancer, when were you diagnosed and what were the symptoms so that our audience can understand sort of what they should be looking for should this happen to them? Okay. Yeah, and, and before I tell you this, which I, I'm going to lay out my cancer um, diagnosis for you quite clearly, when I work with these people, and again, people reach out to me, I always tell them, and as I should have said at the beginning, I am not a doctor. So I always recommend people go see their physicians, whether it's their ENT, I'm typically their ear, nose, and throat doctor, potentially a family practice, or even their, you know, when they're getting oral cancer screenings at their dentist. Um, I, in 2000, and, so in 2014, when I was taking a financial exam for my pr- primary business, our family business, um, I had just placed my hand on my face to ponder a question, then down on my neck and felt a small bump, which I had never felt before nor seen. Um, I called um, my father, who's a physician. I had him look at it. He said, let's call the ENT. I went to the doctor. The ENT said, um, I'm going to put you on 10 days of antibiotics and steroids, which he did. I honestly had no symptoms except this small bump on my neck. And understand, I shave every day, every other day. So had there been a bump there, I would have seen it. The ENT put me on these antibiotics. I went on, you know, I went to the Keys on vacation, went to Capitol Hill. I I then flew from the Keys to D.C. and and lobbied on Capitol Hill. I felt perfectly fine, actually great. Wednesday, I returned from D.C., Thursday, I had a CAT scan. Friday, I had a needle biopsy. Monday, found out I had stage four HPV tonsil cancer. And so I literally had no symptoms. I, I speak to patients and people all over the world, many of which had like a, a sore throat that never went away or they had, you know, just found a bump on their neck and left it there for months and then went to see something thinking it was just swollen glands. Um, some people have sores in their mouth that don't heal. I, however, only had a small bump. And then through a needle biopsy, and like I said, CAT scan found out that I had, you know, stage four tonsil cancer. And I will mention to you as well that had I been diagnosed in 2018, January 2018, I would have been stage one. As we'll speak about in a little bit, I believe because the outcomes have been so positive with people surviving and doing well through treatment and surgery, they've actually, in a sense, downgraded the staging and the treatment because of how uh, much success people are having with all the treatments once being diagnosed with HPV-related head and neck cancer. Wow, that's really uh, it, that's really great that the treatments have come along so much that um, that they're able they've been actually able to down downgrade the stages. Uh, it's really kind of amazing just in general what's going on with the cancer treatments and, and some of the advances that they are they are making. Maybe you could talk a little bit about our about your treatment and what exactly you had to go through as as part of it. I would love to do that. People always ask, and it's it's always interesting to me because before I was diagnosed with cancer, 
it wasn't something I honestly thought about a lot for me personally, right? I always cared about people who were diagnosed, but all of a sudden it's me and I'm living it. And, and I really was not aware of what people go through with head and neck type cancers. So I ended up getting diagnosed, like I said, and ended up having a radical tonsillectomy, neck dissection, so 42 lymph nodes removed, followed by seven weeks of chemo, radiation, and a feeding tube. Um, as well, before I mention that, I will tell you that even though it was downgraded to staging when I was first diagnosed, and I'm not saying this to make your listeners um, sad or anything like that because today I'm cancer-free, but when I first got diagnosed and you hear stage four, I made videos to my kids saying goodbye, right? You know, something like one day you're going to get married. I'm not going to be there. This is what's important. So the fact that they have, you know, downgraded in the sense the staging from, for instance, for me, four to one, hopefully will give many people peace if and when they or their loved ones are ever diagnosed. Um, the treatment, however, I had radiation every day for around 15 minutes for seven weeks. They, before you have that, they actually make a mask for your face to hold your head in place. So you actually are laying on your back for around 15 minutes, head clipped down to a table, really secure to make sure that the radiation, which is very targeted, only targets the area that's necessary. So I went through that for seven weeks. I also had chemo pretty much on Thursdays. I would show up right after radiation. They happened to be in the same building for me. And I was there around eight hours. So chemo was around an hour and a half. But by the time they test your blood and give you fluids and you have chemo and your kidneys flush, um, the entire process took around eight hours. So once I was going through the treatment, pretty much the first three weeks, four weeks, I was just really tired. Chemo made me a little bit nauseous. However, I never threw up, um, never lost my hair because I had cisplatin, which is very common for head and neck cancer patients with HPV-related cancer. Um, but like four weeks into radiation, again, I don't mean to say this to scare anyone because everyone has different, um, result, not results, has different, um, side effects. I ended up getting pretty much third degree burns in my throat. And so radiation for me as an HPV tonsil cancer survivor was much more of a situation than chemo by far, by far. So um, that's how my treatment went. I actually finished it August 11th, 2014, and then rang the bell like all cancer survivors do, thought it was awesome, and then didn't realize that radiation is the gift that keeps on giving. And for three weeks following that, had the worst symptoms yet. Do you, would you like me to share a little bit about that? I think that would be great. I think it would be really good if our audience could learn a little bit about, about some of the potential side effects of the treatments. Okay, and again, this will give more reason why, you know, I talk a little bit about the HPV vaccine to prevent people from ever going through this, but also um, help caregivers. So once I rang the bell and the burns began to get worse because, again, radiation, the gift that keeps on giving, as I say, um, I ended up, you know, I'd go to sleep at night and 15 minutes later, the saliva was so thick from the radiation, it would be like someone was choking me. Um, I did not ever have diarrhea. I never threw up and I never had a reason to be sweating. Yet I got dehydrated pretty much an hour and a half after stopping fluids because the, because the burns were literally sucking the fluid from the inside out. And imagine if right now, whenever you talk or you live your life and you're swallowing, 
during the day, I couldn't swallow. My burns were that bad. So I would have to spit into a slurpy, large slurpy sized cup and then empty the cup throughout the day. And so again, so not to make your listeners all uncomfortable, all of that was worth it because it was all temporary and I survived and beat cancer, which again, to me, rather than focus on the scary side effects, you know, later people end up having lack of saliva due to radiation and, and other things um, that could happen. But the whole point was I beat cancer and anyone can beat this, you know, assuming they have a similar diagnosis to me, which many people do, it's a beatable cancer and even preventable. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But so while I'm sharing some of the scary side effects, it's really something that it's temporary and the people I deal with on a weekly basis, you know, six to 12 to 18 to 24 months later are living their new normal, enjoying life. So I hope that was helpful and interesting. That That's incredibly helpful. And, you know, you know, the treat, it, it always amazes me how different the treatments are for different types of cancer. Out of curiosity, how long were you in treatment for? So I was, from the time I began treatment to end ending treatment, it was around seven weeks. And um, it was basically seven weeks. I was in bed around 18 hours a day. If I can share two little funny things with you that I hopefully you'll find funny as well as interesting. Um, is that okay? Oh, that'd be great. Um, I always tell people I was in bed for 18 hours a day for approximately a month. So I would come home from treatment. I was really exhausted. Um, you know, nauseous a little bit, but really just feeling like, you know, thick saliva. But I always tell people, here's the good news about being in bed 18 hours a day for a month. I was able to watch seven years of lost in two and a half weeks. So literally being in bed that much, you can watch a tremendous amount of television. So that is one positive for those people listening that enjoy television. And I meant to tell you as well that people always ask me when they find out I had HPV tonsil cancer or pharyngeal cancer, um, if that's what Michael Douglas had, people always ask me. So I always tell them it's the one thing that he and I have in common outside of our love for Catherine Data Jones. So hopefully you find that somewhat witty and that those are, people out there are chuckling a little bit. Th- those are great stories. Uh, those really are great stories. Um, so thank you for sharing them. So you talked sure. a little bit about the vaccine and, and preventing it. Can you give us a little bit of why you decided to share your cancer story? I assume that some of it is to sort of make people aware and, and to help with prevention, but I'd love to sort of hear your thought process around that. Sure, and thank you. And, and you know, it's interesting when you ask that. My wife always says, shouldn't we just move on? Or do you, Because I deal with a lot of cancer patients, right, and, people, and survivors. And, and quite honestly, I tell my story to prevent parents from ever having to make videos to their kids saying goodbye. And when I learned about the HPV vaccine, which as you know, is indicate, I'm not a doctor, like I've said already, but it's indicated for, you know, cervical cancer, right? Everyone believes Australia has the highest immunization rates. They say Australia is going to be the first country to eliminate cervical cancer. And that vaccine, when it came out in 2007 was for girls. In 2011, it came out and it started being recommended for boys. However, it's really only in the last few years that you have um, pediatricians, family practice doctors, and really um, organizations 
really explaining to families that that vaccine is for boys and girls. And again, I'm speaking independently as a survivor who really believes through my research that had I been given the vaccine, had it been available when I was 11 or 12, I most likely would have never ended up with HPV tonsil cancer. And you likely know this, or many people likely know this, but I speak to parents and grandparents, and I just did a webinar about my story to Utica College um, kids. The statistics are three out of four adults by 30 have HPV. Again, listen to me when I say that to you. Three out of four adults by 30 have HPV, 62% of freshmen in college, and men between 40 and 60 are the most highly diagnosed with HPV-related oropharyngeal cancer. Women are also diagnosed with this, and I always have women remind me, please make sure you stress this with everyone you speak with. But those are the statistics. I've had people ask me, why aren't you embarrassed to share your story when HPV is the most common sexually transmitted disease that exists? And I said, because three out of four adults by 30 have it. I'm not sure why I would ever be embarrassed. But at the end of the day, I share my story because I have more women tell me when I hear my story, I wish I would have known your story earlier. I gave the vaccine to my daughter, not to my sons. I had no idea it was also for boys. And so, again, I share my story because if, you can, if, if there was a vaccine that came out that prevented your daughter or a daughter from ever getting breast cancer, almost everybody would give it to their daughters. If there was a vaccine that gave, came out that, that, that everyone knew would prevent prostate cancer for their sons years later, everybody would give it to their sons because everyone knows everyone who has or had those cancers. This is a, this is a vaccine that too many people focused on the fact that it was, you know, dealt with sex and people didn't want to think of their younger kids ever having sex or their grandkids. So now you know, I'm also active with the American Cancer Society's HPV Roundtable, and I'm really active with many organizations like you already mentioned. I'm on the board of the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance. And so now we are discussing this vaccine as a way to prevent cancer and really not focus on the, on, focusing on the sex aspect because how would people feel if years from now their son or daughter – or grandson or granddaughter ended up with a cancer that was preventable, but they didn't really have or understand the information. So I decided go public, be bold, protect future generations. My goal is to have my cancer story shared in as many languages as possible on all seven continents to save lives worldwide. And so far it's been shared in Chinese and Vietnamese and in, you know, in the Miami Herald, and, and so I'm working to really help families. And so that's one of the reasons I was so pleased that you asked me to be on your show this morning. But I hope that was a little bit and hopefully not too much about the vaccine and how kids can be prevented, which most likely kids normally get it between 11 and 14 before they're sexually active. But, you know, everyone knows you can get it between nine. And I think now it's 45, but to be most effective between 11 and 13 or so. I, I'm so glad you're so sharing your story because, to be honest, I had no idea that HPV 
was a virus that caused cancers beyond um, you know cervical cancer, and so that's the one that's gotten all the press attention, but yet it's much more widespread, and I think letting people know what is going on and, and the fact that you can get this vaccine and it can prevent a wide range of potential cancers is really is really good information for people to know. People do ask me, and I don't know if um, am I, I'm assuming free to speak, and hopefully it doesn't make you or any of your listeners uncomfortable, but am I allowed to share? Because people do ask me, how did I get, how did I, how was I exposed? Is that okay because it's medical that I share that on this radio? Uh, absolutely. I think that would be great to understand how people are exposed to it. So please. Okay. Now, okay. And, and, and in general, everyone knows that HPV is a skin to skin contact. Um, my doctors told me when I was initially diagnosed that they believe decades earlier, likely through oral sex when I was in college, that that I was um, most likely exposed. So from oral sex with a woman in college, exposed, and decades later because the virus um, remained in the crypts of my throat is when it surfaced. Um, my father's best friend diagnosed at 74, and he had been married 50 years. I deal with a lot of people that don't understand, and, and, and I'll say this to you again, not be, being a doctor, but out of 100 people that get exposed to HPV, 98% of them, their body fights off the virus, and they never know that they had it. It's the 2% like me that decades later could end up with, in this instance, oropharyngeal cancer. So, again, people do ask me often, um, when was I exposed? What's the likelihood of me getting it? You know, the likelihood of getting HPV oropharyngeal cancer is low, right? The vaccine will prevent you from getting you know, the primary strains of HPV or allowing that to become cancerous. So, again, they believe decades earlier I was exposed and then it became cancer. That, that's, really, that's really amazing. And I know you're not a physician, so you may not know the answer to this, but you said there's a range of ages. I believe you said the upper range is 45 where people can have the virus and have it um, the vaccine, I apologize, and have it be effective. Is there any way to get tested for this uh, you, to see if you may actually have the, vi the virus being latent in your body, or it, you, just, you should just go out and get the vaccine if you think you may have been exposed? So I always refer people to their doctor, right, for the vaccine. So whether it's your you know, pediatrician for kids or the family practice or internist, if they aren't aware of the HPV vaccine or what it can do, I'd go see someone else, honestly. At the end of the day, there's lots of good information and people that are well-educated, and people can reach out to me via email, cell phone, website, any of those. Um, the vaccine, again, is, was just you can get the vaccine up to age 45. But, again, if you've been exposed most of your life, you likely have been exposed already. If regarding testing, women can obviously have pap smears to know, you know, from HPV, from a cervical cancer perspective. There are some mouth rinses, which, again, I've talked to many people, varying levels of, um, of you know, how they feel regarding its effectiveness. But the only way that I understand, and again, not a doctor, to understand if you have HPV or pharyngeal cancer, which, again, I say not oral cancer because it's really HPV, whether it's the tongue, the back of the throat, any part of the mouth, 
in that area are biopsies, tongue, throat, and tonsil, which no one ever gets. So reality is most people have HPV. So knowing you have HPV, I'm not sure how important that is when it comes to oropharyngeal type cancer. It's important to know if you have cancer, obviously, but most people are going to have HPV. Currently, as I understand it, you need biopsies of your tongue, throat, and tonsil. There will be rinses or different things that can tell you if you have it. But I think really it's best to speak with uh, your family practice or internist and even your dentist to get more information. I mean, this this is great. And as I said, you know, I, I had no idea that HP, because we always always talk about it really around cervical cancer, that it could, that it has, that it can uh can spread and cause other other types of cancers. We have a few minutes left. I don't know if there's anything else that we didn't talk about that you would like to discuss, uh, but I'd like to give you that opportunity if you feel there's something we didn't cover uh, and would like to um, like to share some other things with our audience. You know what? I, I appreciate that. And, and I want to also stress, I'm not sure if I said it earlier, that that the vaccine is really indicated for cervical cancer, but I am hoping one day that it will get approved for oropharyngeal cancer, and they do recommend it for boys and girls. So that's one thing I want to make sure it's clear. Um, two, my website, which is supermanhpv.com, I created it, and I sell nothing, just so we're clear. I'm not, this is not self-promotion. I have more people reach out to me to tell me that when they visited the website, they no longer feel alone. And so I created the website because when I was first diagnosed, everything on the internet was really about smoking and drinking, head and neck cancer, alcohol and, and tobacco. It wasn't about HPV related. And a lot of it dealt with horrible side effects from radiation from years ago. So I provided, created this website to create, provide inspiration and information for those diagnosed and or researching HPV, HPV, the HPV vaccine or HPV or pharyngeal cancer. And I want everyone to know that they can reach out to me at any time. I believe you're going to post or provide my cell phone number to people, 407-782-5614, 407-782-5614. Feel free to text me anytime. If you have friends or family or anyone diagnosed or you have questions, if I don't get back to you immediately, I will. And I also have a Facebook page. But, again, it's really just to provide information. My Facebook page is Superman HPV. So is my Twitter. But I do that so I can help people. And so I guess my final thought is if you're a parent or grandparent and you know people, you know, that may not be familiar with the HPV vaccine or anyone raises questions about, you know, anything about this, if I don't know the answer, I have access to people who do. So feel free to reach out to me. And it's really important that you're familiar because you now have information that can prevent generations in the future from ever getting this type of cancer. As we understand it, it is preventable. And now you have the information to protect families and family and friends of future generations. So I think that's really everything I wanted to share. I'm sure there's other things I haven't thought of. I mean, you know what else? I have an Alexa skill which is surviving throat cancer for people that like Alexa. And again, just here to share information and hopefully protect your listeners and the people they care about and love. So thank you. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing your story. 
and I'm so glad that uh, you're doing so well um, after all the treatments. And please uh, feel free to come back and uh, talk further about it. If, if there's more information you want to share on another show, we've really enjoyed having you. So thank you. Um, I'd thank also you like for having me. I really am humbled. Yeah, no, we really, it's been really a great show, so I appreciate it. Um, I'd like to thank our audience as well for tuning in today. Tune in to our next show, which is Caregiver Speaks, on April 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our caregiving expert, Marjorie Papp Steinmetz, will speak to Liz Kitt, writer, an artist, and blogger about why clay is a powerful tool for creating meaning and providing respite from caregiving. To learn more about eCare Diary and our upcoming shows, visit www.ecarediary.com. This show will also be archived on our website and is available in our podcast store on the Apple iTunes podcast store. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Our, our Twitter address is at eCare underscore diary. Thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to um, having you join our next show.